This episode of ArcaSpeak is sponsored by Arcat. So are you ready for a summer trip to NYC, New York City? Arcat is headed to New York City for the AIA Conference on Architecture this June. Come visit the Big Red A at booth 707 on June 21st and 22nd at the Javits Center, where every morning Arcat will be serving coffee for visitors, and throughout the day you'll have their BIM expert Robert Wiegant explaining their new Revit plug-in BIMIT. Biminit? Biminit. Thank you. Biminit. Biminit. Stop by booth 707 anytime and learn how RCAT.com can save you time and money finding product information for your projects. Remember, just look for the big red A. Biminit. 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 <laughs> Welcome to ArcaSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 142 of the ArcaSpeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. It's good to be back on the podcast, right guys? Welcome back. <laughs> We did. I did get a message from one of our listeners who will remain nameless, just saying, "I'm so confused." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I got a text message from a friend as well saying, "Evans left the show." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Funny enough, you know, it's just like, well, you know, if if Evans, you know, no longer on the show, um, I can suggest and like gave threw out a name to me, and I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, who is it?" <laughs> Oh man. So 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 if you, you know, if you're looking to replace one of us, <laughs> please offer up those suggestions. Send suggestions too. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I, I should apologize publicly to to my nameless friend uh because I ignored the text message on purpose just to make it even more mysterious for, oh. for quite a while. <laughs> that was funny. Good. Yeah. So, I wanted to give a shout out to a listener who wrote in it's alexander bergman and he wrote a very nice letter and we just wanted to acknowledge it here on on the, the show because alex said some very nice things and we really appreciate it so i won't, won't go through and read it and absolutely yeah absolutely embarrass ourselves or or alex for any reason just because it's <laughs> was, me a blush. it was so nice so thanks alex yeah. we really appreciate it it, it, was. it was it was pretty inspiring yeah it was, it was kind of cool thank you yeah all right cormac go for it all right, man. So, you know, here we are. Um, and we really wanted to talk, you know, we, we always like to talk about the important things, but this show, it's a really important topic, <laughs> and that is the royal wedding. Oh, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, come on. It's, Shut up. We, it's all the rage right now. It's, it is. Everyone's I mean, talking in fact, it's, about it. It's going on right now. So as we're recording, we're missing. We should do a live simulcast no, of... we shouldn't. The royal no. wedding and the podcast, no. and so we could offer commentary. No. <laughs> so much, so much architectural uh, side exactly. commentary. Needs Neil, to think about how enriching we could make that royal wedding if we sat there and you know commented on the the structures around, you know, maybe even the structure of the hat, like the one you're wearing right now. I'm cutting this all out. Why? <laughs> 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 Entertainment value I is high. I couldn't right care now. less about this. So somebody's getting married. BFD. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we thought about you. 
Yeah. It's going to affect your daily life, Neil. So you should definitely take an interest. Thought we fought a war so we didn't have to care. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, on that note, moving on. Now, so, uh, so this, this past week, um, it's actually, um, pretty eventful outside of the office for me. Um, got a chance to start the week off, um, in a jury for a, a BIM course, actually, um, a non, non-studio course, but it was, it was kind of interesting. Um, but before I got to the actual jury itself, um, we, <laughs> it was, you know, it's end of year, uh, kids are getting ready to start doing their, um, their final senior thesis, uh, defenses, or they're going to be doing their, you know, senior pinups and, and things like that. And so it's kind of interesting. I was walking through and I got there early. I was walking through and they had already started one jury. And, and as that jury was going on, kids were, you know, setting up, getting ready for their, for their juries. And it was interesting. I, I, you know, first kind of like just walked past the, the ongoing jury. So I didn't really want to interrupt them. And as I was walking through, you could see the looks on the faces of the kids who were getting ready. And I remembered that look and I was just, it was that, you know, panicked, um, you know, fearful look of just like, Oh my God, this is, you know, the end all be all. And this one girl that I walked up to and didn't know her from, from anyone. And, and so I walk up to her and, and she's just like, you could tell, you know, almost like overwhelmed with emotion. And I walked up to her. I'm like, look, you may feel like this is the most important thing in your life. And probably at this point in time, it might actually well be, but you're going to forget about it in about 30 minutes. And, you know, you're not going to care about it anymore. So just take a really deep breath and just move on. That kind of applies to just about everything, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. It really does. I try to remember that all the time now. It's like, oh man, I'm all caught up in this right now, but but in a day or two, like this isn't even going to matter. So so settle down. I, I just tell myself, that's my self-talk. Exactly. You know, and so I started thinking about, you know, and so then I walked back and I was listening to some of the comments about, you know, that the jurists were given, you know, this, this one kid and he, you know, this kid was kind of getting a little flustered and, you know, got, you know, knocked kind of off of, um, you know, off of his train of thoughts. And, you know, he just, I just wonder why we do this to, you know, the young people and you know it's like well you know i went through it so you know i'm gonna it's, give hell to the next because person because this and, is the way we've always done it yeah. you know and it's the rite of passage and you know we're gonna have to do this and i'm thinking to myself is that really helpful to you know the 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 coming generations of of architects i mean really what we should be doing is not necessarily doing like this one big you know death jury um but <laughs> Death jury, <laughs> you know, but we wow. Death jury. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, think about think about your senior, you know, your last jury in school and I've what it felt like. Those to memories. You. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, remember. it's probably it's just like I've been through so much therapy to get that out of my head. <laughs> you know, no, but I mean, you know, these these kids. I mean, sometimes this is probably some of the worst experiences they've ever had in. You know, it's somewhat off-putting for the profession, and, and otherwise, I mean, I was looking at the quality of the projects. Now, judging it purely on va- face value, 
of most of these projects. They didn't really know it, but you know, they did have a little synopsis of what the project was. So, you know, I read a real quick, you know, blurb of Mm -hmm. some of theirs and you could look at it and you could see whether or not, you know, based off of their synopsis, if they were, if they really got it with all of the visual materials that they were going to do, or was the visual materials just a primer for the conversation that they were going to have, or at least that's what you kind of hope. Um, but I mean, it's, it was just really interesting to, um, to just kind of think about, you know, why we do this, you know, why we persist on doing these kind of like, you know, death juries, these, these, let's try to fry them as much as possible. Let's try to throw them off and, and, you know, like criticize them throughout this whole thing instead of really coming back and just figuring out what juries really are. Well, we talked about the, the value of a good critique previously. I mean, maybe we can find a link to, to that episode, but you know, the value of in it truly should be to make the project better. And, and, but I will also say that it is valuable to learn how to defend your ideas in a in a not perfect environment, non perfect environment. Because if if you if you can do that, you can do it in all kinds of ways in your life. It doesn't just have to pertain to architecture, right? Right, right. And I, and I totally agree with that. But you know, in some cases, like I was sitting there and I was watching this, you know, this one kid. Um, you know, defend his jury, you know, defend his work. And, you know, they were starting to ask some, you know, some interesting questions about, um, the, the process of the class and things like that. And he was a little, you know, thrown off by the questions and and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, this really isn't a jury about him. This is a jury more about the studio and the professor than it is really about him. And he's having to defend things that he really shouldn't have to be defending. He's, defending um you know the the professor and why they were doing the particular projects they were doing and things like that and so it was it was it was interesting but you know that was just kind of a side thought to the what i was right, um, right, right. you know the the jury itself that i was on which was kind of interesting because what it was is it was you know um talking about bim and in um basically using it as a production and communications tool um it was purely an introductory course, uh, you know, given by um, one of the uh, associate principals in our office. And um, and she's, you know, helping develop, you know, the BIM standards and, and things like that within our office. And, and so she's, you know, practicing what she preaches by teaching it, um, as well as, you know, implementing it in our office. And so, you know, it was kind of fun to, to see how people view the technology in... And what was great about the class, real quickly, what was great about the class is this was people who are in interiors, people who are in architecture, people who are in the construction management. And so you, you're coming from a bunch of different, um, you know, pro, you know, perspectives of what what it what BIM means and, you know, how you can use it. So it was it was kind of interesting because, you know, as we went through, you know, and I, you know, God bless them some of these kids just can't give a presentation to save their lives. And it's kind of a shame um, because in, and so that's kind of an interesting running theme of, of some of the things that I want to talk about on the few different things throughout the week that I uh, was involved with, but presentations um, are never taught. Preservate, preservate, preservate. See, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Are never taught. (laughs) Absolutely. 
But, um, you know, so they're getting up in, you know, without getting into the content of the class, you know, right now, you know, my, my thoughts or critiques were, is that I think we're failing and, and we probably talked about this before, but I think we're failing our students who are coming into the profession, regardless of which path they're taking, whether it's construction management or architecture or whatever, we really are failing them in, um, not teaching them how to public speak and present. And, and, and I know that I failed at it. I was just going to say, isn't part of doing some of these juries and defending your design part of the practice of maybe not explicitly teaching presentation skills, but by the fact that you have to do it as we all learn to do it more often, we get better at it, maybe? Well, that that's our experience because now we've been doing it for, you know, a, a few years, a couple of decades or more <laughs> in your case, years. Neil. Shut but <laughs> um, <laughs> But I mean, so we've done it and especially me particularly, if, you know, anybody hadn't caught that on, you know, listening to the show for the past five years is that, and I'm not particularly comfortable in public speaking, and so a lot of times I love to avoid it, if possible. You know, in conversational situations, I'm perfectly fine. But when it comes to, like, you know, even if I understand or I've got a full grasp of the material, it's that, that initial kind of, like, start before I really kind of get going into the meat of what I know that I have real issues with and real problems. And one of the interesting things that our office does is, you know, we actually have a public speaker, um, you know, come in and kind of help with when we're going after major um, presentations because, you know, we really want to get it right. And one of the things that people remember the most, sometimes, sometimes they remember the really good presentations, but most of the times they really remember the really bad ones. And, and that's, you know, what, where I think we're failing because yeah, they, they get up there and they do their, you know, their, uh, jury defenses or, you know, they do these little presentations throughout their career in school. But if they're not really taught how to give a presentation, they're really winging it all the way through and they're getting better at winging it, but not actually professionally delivering the material. And I think that's where we, you know, really are failing at you know, giving them the the tools or the confidence to be able to properly public speak. And the reason that I kind of bring this up is so later in um, later in the week, um, I got to watch. So um, I don't, I've talked about it a, a couple of times. So we do uh, our office sponsors a high school for the ACE mentoring program. And that's, you know, architecture, construction, and engineering. And basically, if nobody knows what it is, I'll give a brief synopsis. It's, you know, we we pair up with high school students who are interested in the design, construction, you know, and architecture, engineering kind of fields with professionals. And each year they do basically a project. And it goes from about January to May. And at the end, seniors have an opportunity to compete for scholarships. And then, you know, you get the little bragging rights of, you know, you give a presentation and you compete against other ACE teams. And, you know, you get the bragging rights of, you know, hey, we won this year and kind of 
you know, we'll come back next year and we'll try to beat you or something, that kind of thing. So it's really kind of fun. And it gives them the opportunity to learn more about the, um, the professions that they eventually might want to go into, or maybe even open their eyes up to possibilities that they never even realized that, that, that were out there for them. And so, you know, we get together and we try to have, you know, as much of a diverse um, grouping of professionals as possible so that they can kind of see all of the different aspects of, of what goes into the design and construction industry. So it's, it's really kind of cool. Um, so they had their final presentations. Um, our team was competing against uh, 12 other teams um, in, the, in the Baltimore area. And what was interesting is... Our team was from a prep school, um, and one of the things that they teach is public speaking. And you could tell. You could tell because they delivered probably one of the most amazing presentations that any 16, 17, and 18-year-old kids have ever presented that I've seen. And even more so than some professionals that I've seen or soon-to-be professionals in college i.e. the juries that I was was sitting in on Monday. And so I really, you know, I was just, you know, I'm I'm encouraged. So I, I didn't really want to, you know, go down this path of like, you know, public speaking as, as really <laughs> the topic. I, I really more wanted to talk about, you know, kind of this um, somewhat encouragement um, on from both the BIM classes, you know, the BIM class, and these, you know, future A students as future architects and engineers and construction managers, um, encouraged at their um, the knowledge that they have at such a young age, or the desire that they have at such a young age to be able to grasp and understand that sometimes I see some professionals don't have quite yet, or may have, or or don't care about. And it, it's really encouraging to see that, you know, our future is is pretty bright. And I know that we kind of bust on, like, millennials and Gen Ys and all these other, you know, um, kids coming up. But I'm really actually impressed. Um, and so r back to the BIM class, what was most encouraging about that is we know – from our day-to-day -day, day -day life that we've, and really since its inception, we've always used BIM, specifically Revit in this particular case, as a production tool, and really just a production tool only. Um, and rarely have we ever used it as a design tool. And what was encouraging is because these kids are coming in blind to Revit, and they really didn't understand what the capabilities were and they were learning how to use the tools and create, you know, um, different parametrics and they were trying to, you know, creating, you know, different things within Revit. They actually even kind of somewhat showed me that Revit really isn't just exclusively a production tool as we use it mostly. It really is a good and efficient um, design tool if we know how to use it right. And what's interesting about it is, is because now that they're using like Revit 18 and there's, you know, a lot more like design oriented tools within Revit 18, they're learning designing in Revit over things like, you know, SketchUp and stuff like that, which is really kind of encouraging because you're taking, 
you're, you're taking this tool that, you know, like I said, we used as a pencil to just get the production out and they're using it in place of SketchUp or in place of, you know, all of these other ones. And they're going to be able to take it from concept to, you know, schematic design to design development, all in kind of like a one-stop shop. And I know, you know, Neil, you used what, like Archicad and stuff yeah. and in Archicad, that's very inherent in, in Archicad as well. So like all of these different BIM tools are out there. And I know that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, no shit, you know, we've been doing that forever. But have we really? Some people probably years. have. <laughs> I, well, forever. Some, some people, well, some firms, Cormac, yes. But I think the majority of firms out there haven't. For good reasons. Well, yeah, maybe yeah, so. I will add. I, yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I don't like the idea of putting all our eggs in one basket and giving all the money to one overlord company like that. Uh, I've definitely heard the argument many times about doing everything in one package because of efficiencies and many beans to be counted. But I would also say that it forces you to make a lot of decisions early on when you're not necessarily ready to do that. And I, as a designer myself, I want to be working in something, whether that's paper or modeling or drafting or whatever it is, or maybe it's a lot of those things all mixed together, but where it's just fluid and, and fast and I can well, iterate and I can build 10 models in one file. I don't have to start a new file every time. I mean, there's, there's lots of pros and cons, I will say. And I, and I like the idea of what you're talking about, but in practice, it is, it's a very difficult thing to to do yeah. and there definitely are people who are super good at it i mean i know i'm thinking of somebody yeah. in particular who's really good at it where they do everything oh thank you yeah <laughs> oh wait no you weren't talking about me <laughs> well so so there you go well, I mean, that that's so, my argument so, against it so your your workflow is very similar to mine you know i mean we're starting a new project and you know we've been sketching out on it and you know we've been massing in um in SketchUp and then, you know, printing them out and sketching over the top of them and then bringing them in and, and things like that. All the while, because this is a renovation and infill project, um, you know, we've been also generating all of the existing conditions in Revit and, do, and pulling all of that stuff together. <clears throat> so there's like this, you know, four or five, six prong attack at, you know, the same, you know, problem and solution mm -hmm. And using them all as overlays. And and I love the flexibility of that. And I like that. But, you know, there is there is something to be said that once you start getting into, like, the meat of, like, the building, um, to be able to start to work towards, you know, taking that concept into reality, I, something's very appealing to being able to just kind of, like, flow that right on into it, other than, you know say you've like really developed a SketchUp model. Well, can you really use the SketchUp model in Revit? Not really. Oh, I, I, I agree with that as well. So, because I'm, I'm not an advocate for the, the SketchUp workflow just for that reason right there, because you kind of, you kind of do have to start over at one point. So exactly, exactly. I, you lose that there are production. way smarter tools out there than that. I'll just leave it at that for now. Well, no, I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear it because, you know, it's, it's interesting um, because that's, that's kind of where I wanted to go is, is, is is talking about you know one i was encouraged at the grasp and understanding of the and, and one of the things that i talked to them about you know during the the you know bim crits and 
and kind of they they went up in groups of threes and they gave their presentations and they kind of we, we gave a you know a little mini crit to each of them you know after each group of three just so it kind of flowed a little bit better and and really the presentations got better and better as we were talking because then they started you know to kind of focus even though it was a BIM course I I did keep talking about you know having them stay consistent to kind of the subject that they were supposed to be talking about and the the what they learned and really they want they were supposed to be giving a presentation about how BIM you know is implemented into their process and um and a lot of people just talked about the end product you know the building and and stuff like that and um and as we started talking about it more and ta- talking about the flexibility of BIM within the design process um, in, you know, within like critical thinking and, and how you can, you know, do things like um, do a, uh, you know, a, a solar study or, or whatever um, within the, you know, within like just the massings and stuff like that within BIM that, you know, that can help inform your design process. Um, and what was good about that is that, you know, the construction managers could, the people who are on the path for construction management could start to understand why decisions are made, um, by architects, um, rather than just, you know, oh, well they, you know, they put all of this, uh, sunshade devices on their building. Yeah, that's easily value engineered out. And rather than doing that, you know, they're able to you know, understand, or at least, you know, in uh, these few cases, start to understand why we do what we do so that, you know, a lot of this isn't just, you know, ah, shit, it looks good. Let me just put that on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I was, I was encouraged about it, but you're right. I mean, you know, we're, we're not there yet, but I mean, one of the things, in fact, you guys are doing it, um, Evan, in, in your firm and, and we're, and I don't know if Neil, you guys are doing it yet, but we're starting to, you know, starting to dip our toe into the the VR um, side of things. But I mean, early on when you guys are developing things in Brevet and you want to give them, you know, give your client kind of a tour of that concept design or concept idea, you know, being able to do it in Revit so that you can show them kind of where the concept is leading you and then being able to take them through VR, I think is you know, an interesting prospect for the tool in the future. Future is now, but yeah. the future. Well, yeah, and I think, again, VR is not program agnostic to just Revit. It's sure there. Are, there's definitely a lot of people doing that. We're doing that too. But the, uh, be, it depends where you are in, in the process. And I think that one of the hang-ups with Revit until, up until now has really been materials, for because yeah. they do help in VR for sure, uh, and they help in a lot of ways. And I think it's probably more people than it is the tool itself. Just not being familiar because it's not easy to do in Revit. Uh, they just have right. never learned how to do it. It's so much easier in another program, right? Where I can just click a face and the materials there. And um, right, right. And you have to go through the parameters of of each material. And well, you have to all of a sudden set up a bunch of different. Well, if you you can do paint by face, right? But that doesn't translate oh, yeah. well to other workflows down the pipeline. So, 
Exactly. So yeah, you have to build these into the families, and then you have to have twenty different wall families because you got different materials already assigned to them, and and it just gets to become a management issue of all the different elements that are going on in the model. So there's definitely some hangups. I totally understand why people don't do that and why they prefer to do that kind of stuff in another tool. But along the way, maybe that doesn't matter. Um, materials don't matter until you get to a certain point. You know what matters more is volume and space and light and shadow and all those other things. And so it's more about form making earlier on in the process. And that can be in any program. So, you know, the other thing to, to look at is a, a VR platform that just takes any model. So what that's what we've done is we we've invested in prospect, which is by Iris VR and it'll take a Rhino model. It'll take a SketchUp model. It'll take a Revit model, or it'll take anything that can spit out an FBX or whatever. And so you right. just drop the model in and boom, you're in VR. It's amazing. It's super fast. We just actually had a little presentation in our studio this week just to encourage everybody on project teams to get in VR to so that they don't have to feel like they need to ask permission. It's, it is something that's available to everybody at any time so that they can understand the models better. And the goal there is is kind of twofold. Number one, it's, well, the project will be better because you understand it better. And you will notice right. things that you are modeling that don't necessarily translate well in 3D, but they look fine on paper. And I think something that we're really pushing for is looking to a future where there is no longer paper, right? Because that is going to happen one day. And so the better we can build our models now so that they translate into VR and they translate into rendering software without all kinds of problems where somebody has to clean that crap up. Uh, you know, because all all you really care about is how it looks on paper. We're trying to to work toward a future where there is no paper. So right, fix right. the models so that they look good. And, and one way to do that is to get in VR because people, for whatever reason, get stuck in you know the the 3D spinning it around on the screen and and Revit up until now really didn't make it easy for you to get in and walk through a model. Uh, in 3D perspective view. I mean, obviously, we can section box and we can ax on this thing right. to death. But um, yeah. <laughs> actually doing like a walkthrough SketchUp style, I mean, honestly, I mean, this is where SketchUp totally blew everybody away, right? Was with just e yeah. nice shading and I can walk through and I can click the the little dude icon and click on the place on the floor and it takes me there and then I can look around. Um, that That's what really changed visualization on the fly in our industry. And so now Revit's definitely trying to catch up to that. And I think they're finally getting there. And obviously computers and um, graphics cards and stuff are finally allowing us to do that with ginormous models with lots of information in them. But VR is so lightweight and so fast. Uh, it's And it's such an immersive experience. It's way different. And all of a sudden you realize that some of these decisions that you're making when you're modeling matter. Right, so you get well, into that space and you experience it, and you're like, "Oh, that's not what I thought." We, like one example exactly. was we had this little cube exactly. where someone was supposed to sit based on a program area, and an inexperienced designer laid this thing out, and then they realized once they got in there in VR that you couldn't even like turn the chair 180 degrees to swing your knees around <laughs> because you were running into uh, walls. Like it was so tight, and so it doesn't yeah. matter what that program area is on paper if it doesn't actually work, right? And so they realized that when they got in there because they could actually, you know, virtually sit in that chair and, and 
plug into that desk and realize, man, this sucks. Like nobody's going to want to sit here. <laughs> and this is like somebody's workspace. So just as one example, that's where VR really pays off. And we're encouraging everybody to get in there so that we build better models, which has lots of outcomes, not just uh, working towards getting the thing to look good on paper at the end. Like right now, yeah, that's probably still what is the priority, what matters most. And if we have to fix something for VR, if we have to fix it for renderings, fine. But we want to work more towards uh, good modeling and and injecting that model with tons of information. I mean, that's another beautiful thing about right. Iris is you can now click on or, you know, point at an object, pull up its BIM information in VR and see everything about that object in there. And you can flag it so that we could talk about it later. Um, there's lots of cool, like actually useful tools during the design process. And it's not just a presentation tool at that point. Yeah. And, and, and that's actually where I'm, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm excited about the prospect of, of VR. I mean, it's great for visualization. It's great for, um, you know, getting the client excited and things like that. And, and that's fantastic in its own right. Um, you know, completely valuable tool. I mean, hell, you haven't you guys landed projects yeah. um, using VR? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that in its own right is exciting. But, you know, as a project management tool, as a constructability tool, you know, to, you know, or to once you're really into design development and you really want to see if this concept is working or, you know, okay, all right, fine. I've got, I have to have a knee wall here. You know, if I'm sitting at my desk, will I be able to see past it, you know, or, or, you know, what is the views? I mean, you know, it, it helps test fit all of your design decisions Yeah, totally. You know, in a real word, you know, and, and I think because that what you exciting. see is what you get I and mean, it is one-to-one, exactly. it is one-to-one. And so it's not faking the camera that's way up high in the room. So you get the beautiful angle and it's not pushing the camera down to the worm's eye view to get that beautiful, crazy, uh, perspective shot either it's straight up this is how you're going to experience it in real life and so when you are checking views and you're checking all that kind of stuff it's it's real and so it absolutely is valuable in that regard it's 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 a big deal well you know what's interesting is that you know every week now for our uh, um, school of nursing um, physical therapy uh, building in duke we have a um we have BIM coordination calls. And, you know, this is with the contractors. This is with all of the subcontractors and with all of the engineers. And we're going through and we're, you know, doing, you know, real-time clash detection or, you know, test fitting all of the design in there and stuff like that. And because we're doing it essentially, you know, yeah, we're doing it over like a go-to meeting, but, you know, essentially this is a VR, ex you know, exercise but we're doing it all in 3d we're seeing all of these different layers we're seeing the design we're seeing everything s sandwiched together you know we're seeing where sometimes when the reality when we don't model things like the insulation around the duct work or we don't you know model the fireproofing and you know you start to like expand the the distance between things you know now you've got a beam well you know we've been holding things tight to the beam but we can't hold things tight to the beam because we have two inches of, uh, you know, spray fireproofing on that beam. Okay, so now we've lowered it two inches. Oh, well, you know, we modeled that um, that with just the, you know, 12 by 36 inch duct. 
Okay, great, but it's not a 12 by 36 inch duct because it has two inches of insulation. Right. Now we lower it even more. Oh, well, now you need that virtual plane of at least six inches for, you know, your um, lay-in lights, light fixtures and things like that. Oh, well, but that encroaches in on that um, duct insulation. Then you lower that. And you just keep watching it lower and lower, and you're like, well, there goes my 10-foot ceilings. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know? Well, let's but if we're, and then and then at 50% CDs, someone just says, man, we got to lower those ceilings six more inches. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and that doesn't like, ripple but, throughout the entire project and affect everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. like, you know, we're we're sitting here and we're watching and it's just like, you know, okay, well, but now we've got the um we've got the cable tray and the cable tray is, you <laughs> yeah. know, interfering with all of this and the cable tray can't occupy the same space as this because now it's encroaching in on your fire protection. You know, it goes on and on and on and on. And I was trying to explain this to the the BIM um the BIM class. It's they just don't like, want to hear that. I was like, you're just thinking about des- I was like, you're just thinking about design right now. But when you get into the profession, you have to think about all of that stuff yeah. because all of that stuff has an effect. Because all you want is that ten foot ceiling. You think that you know this ten foot ceiling is it, it's going to make your building. It's going to make it just feel so open, and you'll get you know cascading lights and blah 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 blah. But you know what? All of that other shit's going to make it nine foot ceiling. We used to be able to say, you know, figure all that stuff out in the field. Exactly. We would get our 10 foot ceiling. (laughs) Now it's all got to be modeled and it's our problem. Exactly. You know, and so that's why I I do like that, you know, the CM is really involving us in this process because a lot of times, you know, people aren't going to involve us in the process. They're going to make decisions to lower that. 10 foot ceiling down to nine feet to fit all of this stuff in there and not really care about the consequences that it has on the actual architecture. And so, you know, to involve us into the process and really just kind of like I had to draw a line in the sand for a couple of different areas where they wanted to lower the ceilings from, you know, 10 foot down to nine feet. You know, that's why I'm not pulling that one out of, you know, thin air. I literally have been living it over the past week. And, you know, they're just like, well, you know, we really have to do this because of that. And the good thing was, is that we're all looking at the same things and we can all see the routing of the ductwork. And so to be able to suggest, well, you know, if we don't lower the ceiling in here, what else can we do with that ductwork to get the, you know, airflow into that building without having to bring the main trunks, I mean, into that room so that we can, where can we bring the main trunks so that all we have is, you know, the supply trunks rather than the mains. And so, and then keep this, the, the, um, the ceiling up high because those ceilings are aligned with my exterior window mullions. Mm-hmm. And then if I, if I lower it, I'm not lowering my exterior window <laughs> mullions because they're aligned with all of the seat, the window heads. I know, I know all this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and, I feel and, your, and your so, pain. So, but, but what I'm trying to explain to them is, you know, through my experience, this is what we're going to need to know. And so understanding and having a grasp of the BIM tools early on, both in, you know, using it as a design, but also the communication. I was like, the greatest thing about BIM isn't necessarily about its documentation, which, you know, we use it and, you know, it's great for that. And uh, people who are using it as design, great. And it's, you know, really good for that, you know, could be better, but, but it's really about the communication. It's how are we communicating our design intent to that contractor who's going to have to build our design intent. Well, it's established yeah. a platform where everybody can 
open and get into that model. Exactly. And exactly. That, that's the communication you're talking about. And I, and I wanted to add with the VR thing, just to kind of finish this off before I, before I forget is that it's great at establishing consensus and, and that intent. If every, if yeah. you can do those big room type meetings with those people in VR, it makes a enormous difference over 2D oh, yeah. on a screen. Yeah. Enormous, because then people can actually see what you're after and why you're after it, because you're there to explain right. it. And what I'll, I'll say that one of the neatest kind of inventions with VR in the past year or two, where it's actually now really working, is multi-person VR. So you don't have to be in the same room at the same time, but you can meet in the model. It actually works better if you're not in the same room because you don't have to ever worry about running into somebody. Because in VR, you can teleport <laughs> wherever you want. You don't. It's not one to one walking around a building. And so if you really if you are in the same room together, you you could really because you can't see. You've got the fanny pack on your face, right? You're you're going to probably run into your the other person who has the fanny pack on their face in the same room. So it's actually better if you guys are in different rooms or in different offices, uh, because then you can talk to each other. Every VR headset's got a microphone. You've got headphones. You can see each other, like with a representative avatar kind of thing in VR, so that you know kind of where they are in the model spatially. And there's some VR systems that even have spatial awareness with the audio. So if they're on your right, you can hear them in the right ear only. Uh, and as if you turn around, you'll hear them in your left ear. So that again, it just kind of helps with spatial awareness and where people are in the room. But um, that's not that's not a total necessary thing. That's just kind of a cool thing. But it is nice to meet in the model. We we have I think five different offices set up with this now, and we can meet in the model. And it makes a huge difference to go in there when, especially when you're working cross office or if you're working with outside consultants who have a, a similar setup. Um, and now they've even added in the ability for someone just to be able to tune in from anywhere via just their computer. So they don't even have to have the headset, although it is way better to be immersed in the model together. But you can sure. just kind of view it now, which is kind of cool. Um, so it makes it so that anybody can get in there and, and see things whenever they want. But um it's it's an amazing tool to use for that kind of thing because we can actually talk about the way those ducks are running because we can expose them. Like I can actually hide a ceiling and we can look at that stuff together in VR in the room and talk about how all that stuff is working. And it there when you're talking about communication, I mean, that's really what it's all about. And so therefore, I would further argue that the most important thing about BIM is I, the letter I in the middle, right, information, because that is right. what is making everybody's decisions go whichever path they go. And so if you're if you're running that stuff kind of accurately in the model, um, then the balance becomes how detailed do we get, right? So the more detailed, the better, but also we all know that that takes an immense amount of time, kind of exponentially, the further you go down the rabbit hole of detail, level of detail. So something, to, something else to think about. Um, and again, thinking about, you know, you, you would, before we started recording, we're talking about line weights and stuff. It's like, I, I think at some point that's just going to become irrelevant. It's going to be all about the model and how it's representative. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, what, what I was saying before show is that, you know, as of right now, you know, a lot of people are still building off of the 2D documents. And so, you know, clarity of, of 
information, you know, it all, all comes back to that eye, yep. the information, yep. um, is, is in, imperative. And so that's why I was kind of like on my soapbox of, of line weights and, and legibility of between line weights and, and clarity and things like that. But, you know, what was interesting and, and, and here's where, you know, we take that, that pre-show conversation of, you know, talking about, you know, CAD and being able to like, you know, manipulate things. So it really, so it kind of looks right on paper, um, and meets the, you know, the BIM world is that, you know, we, we have a couple of our consultants on this project are, you know, still in CAD, um, namely the, uh, civil engineer. And, you know, so we've got all of these underground utilities and stuff's coming through. We've got, you, you know, the, um, the on-campus like, uh, steam, uh, lines that are going through and that we're tapping off of that coming into our building, you know, but how our other new utilities are affecting that, you know, existing steam line and where they're coming in or where that steam line is crossing over duct banks and things like that, because he modeled or because he drew everything in 2D, we never really fully saw where the conditions were of the crossovers, you know, whether it's with, you know, exi- you know, new, existing or new utilities or, you know, how is it penetrating into the building? You know, where are those um, footing and foundation locations? You know, can we do that? Is it going to have an effect on the foundation? Do we need to lower the foundation? Things like that. And so as the um, CM modeled all of that stuff up and modeled it based off of the elevation, the invert because, elevations yeah, they'll and everything get, else. They'll get paid to do that. Yeah. Well, sure. yeah. Yeah. And so they've, they've modeled all of that stuff up. Yeah. They, we could, we got a chance to finally see in real time, um, what the, you know, what all of the ramifications yeah. of some of this stuff were. Right. And yeah, so we sat there with the structural engineer and the contractors and the civil engineer and myself and everybody else. We're all, you know, online at this meeting and, and we're going, um, through this and, yeah, you know, we weren't quite in VR to be able to like be fully immersed in the model, but you know they they do a really good job of of you know flying through the whole yeah. thing, you know, and they tilt the whole entire building up, and you start to see where the conflicts are, where we've got um, conduit, you know, from our um, from our emergency <laughs> generator coming in, and it's cutting right through a foundation, and like, well, obviously that's not going to work, but what are the decisions that need to be made off of that? Do we lift the duct bank up? Well, no, because we have to have a minimum coverage over this concrete duct bank. So it's got to stay where it's at. Got to lower the, the foundation. Well, now that has an impact on cost and, and things like that. You know, so it's just this interesting, you know, like marry up of like, you know, of our, you know, 2D conversation about like, you know, this is how we've been building, but this is where we're going. And you know, the future, I think, for us is going to be a lot brighter because we're going to be able to manage and control a lot of, um, uh, you know, like potential change orders or potential RFIs and things like that because we're going to be able to see it all real time yep. as long as we fill that model with as much information as we possibly can. Well, this is uh, – um, I, I want to really stress and encourage people to to jump into this now because – you yeah. can bet your life that contractors are doing this. They oh, yeah, are absolutely. experts at BIM. They are experts in VR. And you're going to get left behind. And I especially am talking to the ones who have chosen to stay in CAD for as long as possible because 
it is a big investment to go into 3D. But if you're still yeah. in CAD, there is no VR for CAD, right? It's <laughs> it's strictly a 2D world. No, no. no. And, and yeah. I think that's a huge disadvantage. So if you've waited to get into 3D, now you're way behind when it comes to VR. And I, I just will say, you know, to, to reinforce the, the thing that Cormac's talking about right now, which is the contractor modeled up the civil engineer stuff. You bet they did. You bet they wanted that ad service to do that. Damn and right. yeah. and therefore the whole team benefits from it, the contractor financially, right? But they also understand the project better. They are the yeah. ones showing the client the value. And this is this has huge ramifications for architects. And so if you're really still being reluctant on getting into this stuff, those companies are going to just take that business away. And they are going to be yeah. more valuable to the client. So I really encourage everybody to jump into that because i mean one of the other topics that we wanted to talk about was just being overwhelmed at the office and how it adversely affects performance and so when you're thinking about the things we're talking about as being additive that doesn't get any easier (laughs) right right, we're talking about doing more constantly doing more 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 um and i think just something to keep in mind is is we can fight against doing more um we can um, or, or we can just let somebody else do it for us. Um, and my hope is that we can do more, but we can be, uh, we can do it better, faster, more efficient w- without doing, without doing more work, but we can, we can work smarter. Well, well, let me kind of close this, this, you know, topic out real quick with, you know, just kind of this little antidote that we did yesterday in the office is, so we opened up a little betting pool, um, uh, for the people who are working on this project that's now under construction. And, you know, um, we all kicked in 10 bucks and, and we wrote a number on, on a piece of paper and tacked it to the wall. Each of us wrote a number and that number was how many RFIs will we have on this project when we're all said and done. And what was interesting about that and what, you know, ties into this particular conversation is honestly, once we get into this point of this, you know, fully embracing 3D modeling of all trades, and then we get into, you know, VR, that number should hopefully, and this is coming from the <laughs> I'm going to tell project you right manager now, with no way. I'm just saying that, you know, project manager with two fingers tightly, you know, crossed kind of, you know, mm. perspective here that should come down because if you're doing... If, if the design team is doing what the contractor is already doing, and that's running a virtual class, clash detection to be able to see all of those functions with throughout the building and how they actually engage. Now, yeah, you're going to have site constraints and things like that, you know. Uh, oh, oops, I've got, you know, higher uh, water table than we thought, you know, because we only test pitted over here and over here instead of right there. You know, or, oh, I, you know, hit a, you know, really high bedrock or, or boulders or whatever, you know, you're going to have those, sure. But um, when it comes to what you really can control, which is your building and the overall building design and all of the services that go into that building, um, you kind of hope that that number comes down low. You, you've seen the graph, right, of what, of the investment into BIM as far as what it, not money investment, but time investment where it used to be when we were drawing in paper and CAD, the, it's a bell curve, right? And the bell curve is in DD, right. like the high part of the bell is in DD. Right. And now it's in right. SD yeah. because BIM forces yeah. you to make a bunch of decisions earlier. 
this this right. is actually what's going to happen because now they're just pre-construction RFIs. They're not actually during the construction process. They've just moved more forward in the timeline. And you know, and if you're going to and see that's you're going to get more. <laughs> that, that's sort you're of, actually going to get more because the contractor weird. wants to see everything in the model now. And so all of the things that you didn't have time to do because you still didn't you never had time to do them just like before now they actually expect all that stuff in the model not to be figured out later so you get all those questions earlier in the process well i made that comment you know a very similar comment to um a coworker who we're we're both um uh you know on you know kind of project project leads project architects on this um this new project for uh, Johns Hopkins and it is this very complex really big project and it's going to take quite a long time to do um and it's a building an existing building that we're basically stripping clean and then adding on to it but it is structurally connected to all of these other different buildings and there's a lot of complexity to this that is almost beyond a lot of the things that we've done in this office. So, um, you know, in, in other projects that we've done in on this medical campus are very similar to this, that they're just adding on or replacing existing elements, but within the existing context. And so there's a lot to, you know, to do, to do with this. But I was explaining, you know, that one of the things that, you know, we need to start thinking about in revamping is the time commitments as it is, you know, time commitments as it relates to BIM, but as it relates to billing. Because right now we gear all of our contracts to be, you know, basically light loaded here, light loaded there, and then heavy loaded in CDs, and then light loaded in CA. And, you know, we're not doing ourselves any favors by continuing to do the 2D method of of billing because... We really do need to have the contractor and the owner understand that we now don't need to worry as much on like the construction document phase. If we're mm-hmm. spending more time in the you know um, the schematic design and then design development phase, construction documents really should only be you know a little bit of arranging stuff on sheets or you know doing some things hoping to get to the point where we don't ever have to generate a set of CDs. We're only going to be generating a set of, um, you know, unless it's something that's needed for permitting because they'll probably never get on the, the BIM, you know, aspect of things. Um, but, you know, we really need to start loading it up front a lot better than we do because, you know, like we talked about, well, you know, we went way over on DDs and we went way over on, you know, SDs. And, you know, we haven't really built to, you know, CDs as much as we, you know, build over the other ones. And, yeah, it kind of, like, flushed out where, you know, we build properly towards all of those things. And, you know, it's profitable. But if we noticed just on that, the last project, that we spent more time in the pre-modeling phase of things before we ever got to construction documents. And so we need to start thinking about that. And we need to start pushing um you know our contracts and our clients to understand that we need to do a lot more in information gathering and information coordination before we ever get to construction documents and in this lo- long stretch of construction document phase 
really needs to be truncated so that we can spend more time in that development. So we can do what the contractor does. And actually getting the contractor on board early um, in like CM delivery um, processes helps us out because I'm okay with, you know, having a contractor kind of like looking over our shoulder for constructability issues and things like that early on because we sort of want that so that once we actually hit the ground running for construction, that, you know, we're making changes here. that all, yeah, that, that we're not making the changes that, um, you know, we're only making changes that are made basically environmentally controlled rather than, you know, like site specific controlled rather than, you know, Oh shit, we forgot this, um, this, uh, to detail that one out. And, you know, so now we're detailing it out because, you know, we really, really only had time to kind of like do design intent type documents rather than, you know, informationally detailed oriented type stuff. And so it, it, you know, this conversation can continue on forever because there's just so many possibilities that we're only, that we as, you know, in the architecture field are only scratching the surface of that, the con that you're absolutely right, that the contractor's already there. And they're wondering what the hell we're Not doing. Not every contractor, because... but, but the big ones. No. The big ones for sure. The big ones. Oh and... man, they're, they're just eating this stuff up. I mean, that's where there is so oh, much yeah. expertise coming from that side yeah. of the Ab profession, the industry. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, that is, um, that is an, another path for, you know, architecture students to follow for is sure. going into construction management to be, you know, um, BIM people. Yeah. All right. So I, I just have a couple things to, to end us off here. Cause I know we're, we're long on time. So are you guys, uh, on the, on the Laurel side or the Yanni side? Oh, well, so honestly, really I didn't. I didn't know what the hell people were talking. I didn't, I didn't Did know you do what it, the Neil? hell the people were talking about. And, and and I I saw an article, um, and the article uh, interviewed the person, you know, like the the actual voice, the the computer generated voice, and all that other stuff that was put together. So I then after I read the article, then I clicked the link, and I could only hear Laurel because that's what it actually is saying. It's because you're it old. It is not saying young. It, <laughs> no, it's, be, it's because my mind was already swayed to, oh, I don't know what. Yeah, you know. I think knowing ahead of time. So so here's what's interesting about this. Maybe this is a future topic is it's perception, right? There's, there's yeah. so many ways in which things can modify our per perception. It could be in this particular instance, it could be the speakers you're listening to. If they're very tiny speakers, you might hear one thing versus another. It could depend on the age of your ears. It could depend on the frequencies that you're filtering out. It could be the, the room that you're in. There's so many different things that could affect this. Totally applies to what we do. Totally applies to architecture. Now I know why Neil was groaning about that. <laughs> you, you said age of the ears. <laughs> Shut up. When I first heard it, I totally heard Yanny. Every time I, and it was funny because the, the guy who, who showed me, Chris, he said, he's like, nope, it's Laurel. No, it, how can you possibly hear Yanny? And, and then I showed it to my family the other day. And over the time I listened to it, it totally changed. And I, and I wondered if how much of it played into what you were just talking about, Cormac, is because, yeah. um, but, but now when I hear it, at least the latest time I heard it, all I hear is Laurel. Well, you know, it's funny as my wife would just like, she goes, she goes, I don't know what's more interesting about this, you know, like absolutely trivial debate, right. but she it's goes, kind of fun. The, 
Well, no, no. She was like, I don't understand that there's people are so entrenched one way or the other. Oh, it's totally changed for me. Yeah, I'm hoping that they're well see but you you've opened and you've changed but most people get they hear it and they're they like, latch you know, on no, one it's yenny <laughs> and and so they latch on and they're like i don't understand why you could hear laurel it is not laurel what the hell is wrong did with you, you do it neil <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea what this all was about i did happen to come across the um the audio clip i hear yeah. laurel and it kind of ended at that. What I find most interesting is how people are using this to create lots of other funny stuff. And oh, yeah. that, that's, that's been yeah. the most entertaining thing about this. But I don't know. Yeah. I heard Laurel this and is the, uh, that and moved on. Well, the, the yeah, thing... this is, what is this? Go ahead. I was going to say, well, this is the 2018 version of that, you know, blue yes. dress, black totally dress thing. And that... Similar thing. Lots of different, lots of, nobody's looking at the same screen for the most part there. So, so also there's so many fact, environmental factors that kind of get in the way right, of these. Right. And I guess that's, that's what's interesting about this to me from an architectural point of view is that people perceive different things. Well, I should say they perceive things differently through different lenses. It's their own lens. Right. right? right. And so, when when we're talking about how people experience buildings or experience architecture, there's so many environmental factors, and they are not you. And so, when we when we say things in absolute terms, it's like this is how people will experience this. That's total BS, right? That is our thinking of how we might want them to experience it, or in some quote unquote perfect condition, or or whatever. And I think I just think it's so interesting to think about it from kind of a, a this point of view where where it really points out how differently people perceive things. So right. That's a total different topic for a different time. Okay. So last thing, a couple shout outs to some other podcasts. I, they they have been um very good at talking about us on their podcast and we have been very bad about Who's talking about talking me? about them on our podcast. And we just wanted to give a couple of recommendations uh, for a couple of great podcasts that are out there. I listen to them all the time. I can't say I listen to them every week, but because they are weekly shows and I, I just, I have too many podcasts to listen to, but I am trying to catch up. So Entree Architect podcast with Mark LePage, fantastic podcast. Um, I would definitely recommend the episode with Anthony Laney from Laney LA. I, I love that episode and love what Laney LA is doing with their firm. Uh, so it was a cool interview to listen to. And then the other podcast is Inside the Firm with Lance and Al from Colorado, and they talk all about how they are basically running their firm. So if you ever thought about starting your own firm, that's a fantastic podcast to listen to and and hear all of the the good things, the bad things, the the stuff in the middle about starting your own firm. So I just wanted to give a shout out to both of them and give them a listen in your podcast player. Search for Inside the Firm and Entree Architect podcast. So real quick, here's a little, uh, pers- um, I guess it's a different perspective. I, I heard it differently, but, you know, <laughs> I, I say Colorado. You just said Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, Tomato. Tomato. <laughs> All right, Tomato. I'm going to cut you out. 
That's it. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Calling it. This episode is brought to you by our cat. The music is by System Kid. Subscribe to ArcaSpeak on Apple Podcasts or listen directly from the site. We're happy to report that whatever I did last time for episode 140 did not happen on 141, and you can download the episode on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> All right. Yay. I still don't know what happened for that one. Sorry, everyone. But you can listen directly from the website, and that will work on a phone if you need to do it that way. Um, you have a little, maybe a little less control, but it, it will Oh, you work. need to. You need to listen to it. Absolutely. Go listen that to a, that episode. That was a fantastic episode. Absolutely. It, it was. was. Yeah. Wait, what did we talk about? Never mind. You can follow the show on social <laughs> media via Twitter or Facebook or email us. Actually, don't email us. We get too many emails. And then links to all of these can be found at arcaspeakpodcast.com. Stay subscribed, everyone, and thanks for listening. See you in two weeks. And Mazel tov to the uh, royal couple. <laughs> oh, God. You had to bring that up again. That's it. And... Papa
Oh, boy.